Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So this is one of those times where April Fool's Day and opening day collide. They coincide. And it's also the rare opening day in recent years when 30 teams play on the same day. You know, like they should. For that's what opening day should be. But don't look for me to wax poetic about how opening day represents hope for all 30 teams and new life for all 30 teams and all that bull crap. I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. I don't need to write a poem to capture how I feel about opening day because somebody has already written that poem and set it to music. Hell yes, let it rip rid. Let's play ball, it's game day. We want strikeouts, base hits, double I mean, honestly, for opening day, I could probably play that on a loop for the entire segment. Actually, I could probably play that crap for the entire program. You know, just run it as a bed under the whole show. I mean, listen to that amazing crack of the bat. Listen to this guy rattle off things that happen in baseball games. You know, moments like strikeouts, base hits, double plays. And then what does he do? He summarizes a plan at the plate, followed by some things that happen in the field. One strike, two strikes, swing away. A diving catch, a stolen base, a perfect game, a triple play. I mean, come on. If hearing that does not get you juiced, I don't know what the hell to tell you. Seriously, that is like the best bleep ever. And yes, I've spent a fair amount of time on this program taking runs at Major League Baseball because nobody gets in the way of itself the way Major League Baseball gets in the way of itself. If you're looking for an organization to run something into the ground and destroy goodwill along the way, then MLB is your league. If you want weird new rules, a commissioner who clowns his own trophy, and owners who are greedy to the point of choking out their very own sport, then Major League Baseball is the place for you. And although the sport has tried to get itself to tap repeatedly, I will say, there is a hell of a lot to like about it right now. You've got the Dodgers looking to successfully defend their title. Nobody's done that in a couple of decades. And they're still the team to beat. And the ones looking to knock them the hell out just happen to be there once again, on again, bitter rivals. A couple of hours to the south in Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Padres. Slam Diego! And the best thing, you go, Ritt. Man, stay strong, old man. The best thing about the Padres is that this is not just some one-man wrecking crew or a one-star team. Far from it. And if you think that, it's because you have not been paying attention. Because they didn't just sign Tatis to that massive deal in the offseason. They also brought in New Darvish from the Cubs. Blake Snell from the Rays. What that is, is your 2020 NL Cy Young runner-up and the 2018 Cy Young winner and the Padres of all teams got them both this offseason. They added the guy who led the NL in wins last year and the guy who was on the mound for Tampa Bay in Game 6 of the World Series. Freaking Padres of all teams did that, which is incredible. But it's not like the Dodgers stood pat. They won the World Series, then they went out, and they signed the 2020 Cy Young Award winner. So one team gets the runner-up, the other team gets the winner. That is the very definition of an arms race. Hail! 
what I'm saying is this. The Dodgers rotation is so stacked. They've got Dustin May in the five hole. They've got David Price and Tony Gonsolin coming out of the bullpen. I mean, believe it or not, while the entire sport might turn on the five freeway, and it might, and it pretty much is, there are still other things happening. Like Francisco Lindor making his debut for the Mets against the Nats. And he's doing that after agreeing to a 10-year, $341 million deal last night. So how big is that deal? Let me put it to you this way. Remember how everybody freaked out when Nando got the deal he got? Remember that? Yeah, well, this deal here is worth more money and fewer years. It's that big. It's that significant. It's the kind of deal the Mets absolutely have to make. You can't bring in a guy like that and then let him walk. If you're going to be a serious organization in a serious market, you have to pay serious money for serious talent, and new owner Steve Cohen just did that. Big-time statement by the new owner. So, respect. And yes, the Mets are very easy to crack. And yes, I do it all the time. And not because it's easy, but because those dopes deserve it. I don't even like doing it. I'd rather not do it. I don't like doing it. They leave me no choice. However, the very premise behind this show is, always has been, and always will be, if you do something really stupid or reprehensible, we're coming for you. But if you do something really respectable, we're also coming to hype you. And right now, that is a serious move by the Mets. And I commend them for it. Because a deal like that says you aren't just looking to contend for a year, you're looking to contend for a decade, and you're willing to pay the price to do so. So, credit to the Mets. A move like that may even keep this kid at bay. Terry, show some emotion, you old ass, silly ass man. I want to punch the shit at you, knock your teeth out. Now, who's going to be smiling? I will. Never show a smile. I mean, when you do, you're spanking the teammates at you. You're spanking Michael Conforto's sore ass. That's what you're doing. So, Terry, goodbye. Have Wally Backman come over here. This kid. Sorry, ass old man. That might be the greatest rant ever. Anyway, opening day is not just about that kid. Well, actually, opening day will always be about that kid. Much respect to you, young kid who's probably a young man now, wherever you are, whatever you do. Opening day is not, though, just about that kid or the Dodgers or the Padres or the Mets throwing their cash around. It's about the players. And it feels like for the first time in a long time, baseball has some young stars who are, in fact, must-see TV, starting, of course, with Fernando Tatis Jr., He saved the Padres season in the first round of the playoffs against the Cards with this titanic and iconic blast. The 2-2. Fernando, a high fly ball to deep left field. Car rushed. Ball going long on for El Nino. Won't be his last playoff appearance. Won't be his last playoff home run. Now we got a ball game right here. A one-run lead for the St. Louis Cardinals. Here come them boys. Pods radio right there. I'm telling you, am I or am I not fired up about baseball? I'm spending a lot of time on this. And not just that guy. How about Cody Bellinger, the guy who did this in the seventh inning of Game 7 of the NLCS last year? Been a great regular season player, but has struggled in the postseason throughout his career. This time he hits the ball to deep right field. Cody Bellinger has done it! 
Fox on the call. And I'm talking about a full season of Mookie Betts with the Dodgers. I'm talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. Oh, and I'm talking about a guy who some of you have forgotten about. Juan Soto. Remember that guy, the Soto Shuffle. Remember the dude who goes into the batter's box looking to fight somebody. That's not me just saying that for a fact. That's him saying that back in 2019. Quote, I just think it's a fight. Just the pitcher and me. End quote. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What do we have here? Likes to fight batter. Because part of baseball's biggest challenge, right, is that no single regular season game really matters that much at all. It's not. It's not an event. You don't drop everything that you're doing just to see a regular season game in baseball. But you might if there's a possibility that Soto might give the pitcher the hands four or five times a night. Then you do have yourself an event. Not that I condone it, but opposing pitchers probably are better off trying to get this guy outside the box because they can't get him out inside of the batter's box. Again, this is a guy who hit five home runs in his first World Series, and it was a World Series when he celebrated his 21st birthday. How stupid is that? And then how much better is he going to get? Well, we got a sense last year, right? Because if you're Juan Soto, you come back and you become the youngest player in NL history to win the batting title, and you post the kind of numbers that Barry Bonds used to rack up, and Bonds was roided out of his mind. And yes, finally, finally I do understand there are collective bargaining issues that need to be hammered out, and that face-to-face meetings are supposed to start this month. And if I'm being really honest, I fully expect Major League Baseball is going to find a way to ruin all of this at some point with a labor stoppage because that's what they do and no one does it better. But I'm not going to let that ruin my morning. I'm not going down that hole today. Not today. Not today because it is opening day and even MLB cannot ruin that. I want to enjoy it for as long as they will let me enjoy it. And yes... I just opened the show with a baseball take. And you know what? It actually felt pretty damn good. Let's play ball. It's game day. Are you craving some great protein after a good workout? Of course you are. Except this time, don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Well, it's awesome. And because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And on top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can, in fact, taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, hot and spicy, if you need a little extra zing. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, reach for a bag of Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Boogie Basham is my guest. Boogie, good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to have you on the show. So let me ask you this. You had your pro day yesterday, and I want to get into some of your numbers in a minute, but what was your overall mindset going into the pro day? What were you looking to show everybody there? Uh, my overall mindset, you know, just going there like another day, you know, come from training, you know, doing everything was just like another rep. So I wanted to have that mentality, and going out there, I want to show everybody how fast I was at the size I am. 
By the way, that's where I'm going next. How fast you are at the size you are. Your best 40 time yesterday was a 4.59. So everybody understands other D linemen who weighed more than 270 and rad sub 4.7s include guys like Aaron Donald, Mario Williams, and Miles Garrett. So what does it feel like to hear your name mentioned alongside those guys? Uh, it, you know, it means a lot to me. You know, it's, it's a great thing. You know, that just showcases how, how dedicated I am to doing what I do. And just going out there and doing that yesterday was big for me. All right, so you could have entered the draft last year, but ultimately you decided to come back for one more year. What was that decision-making process like, and what was the reaction from your coaches and your teammates when you decided that you would come back for another year? Uh, just coming down, coming down to that decision, uh, me and my mom, you know, we were pretty close, and she wanted me to come back and get my degree. You know, I had a couple classes to come back and get my degree, and also it was just a better opportunity for me to be a higher draft pick. You know, looking back, you know, I felt like that was a great decision. And when I made the decision to come back, the coaches and all my teammates, you know, they was happy. I was happy, too, you know, another year with the boys, another year to get better. And also another year, you know, maybe bring an ACC championship to wait for us. You know, we didn't fell short of that this year. But, you know, I felt like I did what I had to do while my time was here. Listen, I think that's really cool. I like all those decisions. Those are all really good reasons to come back. But then, because of COVID, you had another decision to make in the sense that you could have opted out before the season. And I think everybody would have understood and respected that decision. But you didn't. At that point, why did you want to come back? Why was it so important when you could have opted out? Uh, the thing, main thing for me is respect. You know, the players and the coaches, they had a lot of respect for me to come back for my fifth year. And, you know, I, you know, I thought about opting out. But for me, it was, you know, I made I made a decision to the coaches and my players to come back for my fifth year and play. You know, COVID was going on. Nobody really knew what happened. So, you know, I decided to just stay stay with the team and thug it out, you know, and then whatever happened, would have happened at the end. Boogie Basham joining us. You mentioned your mom, so let me ask you about your dad. And I do that because your father, Carlos Sr., had a lawn care business, and you used to help out during the summertime. What were those days like, the push mower, the zero turn, and then a riding mower? Uh, just doing that growing up, you know, in the summer, you know, as a young kid, you know, you didn't really want to do it. But looking back, you know, it was, it was a great day for me. You know, it kept me out of trouble. Also made a little money in the summer. You know, that's always good for you, man, to buy some things you want. But, you know, there was also just, you know, a great bonding time between me and my dad. You know, we got closer and closer pretty much every summer, just being with him day in and day out. And that's a great feeling. That is. Boogie Basham joining us. So then you commit to Wake Forest. But when you did, the program was coming off a 3-9 and nine season. So what did you see in the program at that time that made you feel like that was the right place for you? Uh, definitely my recruiting process. You know, they had, had a couple losing seasons. But, you know, just coming in. You know, just watching the guys practice, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to be a part of this rebuild process. You know, and then just falling in love with Coach Cohen and Coach Cross, you know, through the recruiting process. And also the uh, guys that was here before I was even here, you know, they always kept in touch with us. And I was like, like to me, they showed they really cared. You know, and I wanted to be a part of their brotherhood when I got here. All right, so from the moment you arrived on campus, you have been part of one winning season after another. I mean, that thing did turn around. So what's it mean to you to know that you were such a, a big part of that and played such a big role in turning that program around? Uh, for me, you know, it's personally like just an, another rebuild process. You know, uh, my high school, I went through the same thing. So just coming here, it was like you should do it again. And to be able to do that for my whole five years here is great, you know, and I'm looking forward to watching the guys next year to keep, keep the thing going. We're talking to Boogie Basham. You know, when I look at you from afar anyway, it seems to me like you've got this tremendous upside. You're a great playmaker. You've got that power. You've got a motor that never ends. But how much of your success is about the work you do in the dark room and the film that you watch? And what's that process like? Because I don't think it's a matter of just sitting down and turning on the film, right? You have to learn how to actually watch film. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, I didn't really know how to watch film probably until about three years ago. Uh, my old roommate, Duke Edgeford, uh, we was roommates during the football season. He did a great job, you know, helping me what, helping me know exactly how to watch film and what to look for. And just that when he left, you know, it's, it's, I took it a lot more serious, just going in, the, going in there by myself, you know, just watching games, but not watching myself, you know, watching other other college players, professional players. It's just like, it's like looking at what they do best and trying to incorporate it into my game. And then the things I, the things I couldn't do, you know, just throw them to the side and they just get good at the things I definitely can get good at. Boogie Basham joining me for a few more moments. One number I want to ask you about, I mentioned this off the top, you have a streak of 23 straight games with a tackle for a loss, which is a pretty amazing number, especially when you consider nearly every single team that you would go up against is keying on you, doing everything they can to stop you. So how much pride is there for you in that knowing that opposing offenses literally were looking to shut you down and you still found a way to get a tackle for a loss and did it 23 straight times? I mean, for me, you know, it's just, you know, I, I got a knack for being in the backfield. You know, I like, I like making plays. I love it. You know, players on the team know if they don't make a play, or they miss a tackle, they know I'm gonna be there, quickening the hurry, and, that, and then that's just how I play. You know, I I, I want to make every play, so I'm a greedy player. So just me, just keeping that streak alive, and doing that game after game. You know, even even against their game plans are going against me. You know, if I gotta chase the ball across the field to go back there and get it, I ain't got no problem with it. Hey man, in that sense, greed is good. It's good to be a greedy player in that sense. Now, legend has it you're a bit of a car guy, and you've been known to drive a Dodge Challenger Hennessy, and you've got license plates for that that are awesome. For those who do not know, what is the official license plate on the back of your car, and then what's the plate you put on the front? Oh, in the back of my car, it says Bug, so it's B009, and then on the front of it, it says QB Hunter. I like that. All right, so you've got that set up. Now, what about a dream car? If you're a car guy you probably are thinking about, man, when I finally get there and I've got a chance to get the rig that I've been waiting on or thinking about or dreaming of, what is that car? Do you have a dream car in mind when you sign that first deal? Uh, my dream car is a 63 drop top and pilot with some hydraulic soda with some gold dating. That's all I want. That's what like I'm saying. What, what color? Uh, probably blue. What about the interior? What color? Uh, all, all white. All white, right? It's got to be all white. Yeah. Blue on white. Now, the story also goes that your nickname came from when you were a kid. One of your mom's friends would babysit you, and you would boogie. Great nickname. But if you're going to have a nickname like that, and you're going to get after the quarterback the way you do, you have to have a legendary sack dance, but that's really not your deal, right? Okay, yeah, you know, dancing ain't really my thing. You know, I just like to go out there and handle my business, you know. Dancing, you know, that's all good and all, but for me, I just like to go out there and just play the game. I feel it. He's a former Wake Forest defensive end, a 2020 Senior Class Award candidate on lots of watch lists, has won a lot of awards, and the draft does get underway on April 29th. Boogie Basham, my guest. Boogie, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Let's do it again soon. That sounds good. Thank you. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK. Dell. Hey, Rome, my beef is with Hot Take Sports Guy on TV and on the radio. You know the guy. He's ready to crown a team a champion, only to turn around next week and declare that their team should fire and trade everybody. 
This dude talks about the Cowboys 80% of the year because he wants to get good viewership. Dude wants attention and needs to stop acting like his opinion matters to us. Jeff from the PDX. A lot of guys like that. What do you mean? Almost everybody is like that now in the media. Romy, I got beef with people at work who always seem to have their ass cracks hanging out when they bend over. Can you please hike up your pants, tighten the belt a notch, and figure it the hell out? Shafe in Buffalo. Uh, well said, Shafe. Rome, my beef is with the bum who left a shopping cart in the curb ramp, which I failed to negotiate correctly on my bike, resulting in a pavement gash on my leg. Unwar bums using shopping carts as traffic barricades. Jim Benton? Wow, Benton? Pretty harsh. Hey, Benton, you've got eyes, man. Use them. What, you couldn't see that cart? Whose fault is that? Romy, what up, Benton? Benton was the original webmaster way back in the day. Benton was the webmaster before the internet was the internet. That's how far back I go with Benton. Romy, my beef is with tools who punch you in the arm when they see a Volkswagen. Grow the hell up, clown shoes. You're about to catch these hands next time you pull that crap. Justin Lowell. That's good. My beef, Rome, is with robocalls. They keep calling you back from a different number after you block them. And when you try to call that number to tell them to F off, the call will not connect. So I'm telling them here and now, F off. Mike and Snowbird, so that's how that works. I get that all the time too. I can't block them fast enough and yet they keep finding me. Now I know how. Bleep off. Rome, after listening... About Rome's family desert vacation. My beef is with my parents and the vacations they took me on. We went to the desert as well, but our main destination was to stop and take a family photo at the windmills near Palm Springs. Or maybe the half Vegas trip where we turn around after dining at the Barstow train station McDonald's. Or maybe the three-quarter trip to Vegas where we stopped at the state line to visit Whiskey Pete's. Pops wouldn't go 30 more miles to see the bright lights of Vegas as it was cheaper at the state line. Jim and Temecula. Makes you think, right? What about vacations when you were a kid? What were they like? What do you remember? My parents' thing was they just went to Hawaii. That was their thing. Always to Hawaii. They had business in Hawaii, so they would go to Hawaii, you know, write that stuff off, do some business. They'd go to Hawaii twice a year, three times a year, and they would take my sister and I. The one thing I remember about going to Hawaii was them constantly saying to us, stop fighting. Stop fighting. We'll never take you on vacation ever again. And all I could think is all we do is fight at home. Why would we not fight on vacation? We fight at home every single day. Were we all of a sudden going to start liking each other on vacation? Yeah, I know. Must be nice. It was, man. Hawaii's cool. Hawaii's cool until I discovered Cabo, and then I didn't give a damn about Hawaii ever again. Rome, my beef is with must be nice guy. Instead of wasting time 
bagging on other people for enjoying the fruits of their labor. How about you put in a little more effort? Bacon in South Detroit. I like that. It's good beef. Jim, my beef is with I'm just now seeing this person. Don't insult me. Next time, just don't respond. Greg in H-Town, another good one. Dear Pimp, my beef is with the pig that takes a pull of his bevy while there's still food in his mouth. I hate having to hear that squishing as he chews his burger and Coke combo all at once. Buddy, we're not in prison. Slow it down and eat like a normal person. Craig in Calgary. At A.C. Slater's chair tweets, My beef is with people who wave at the animals at the zoo. (laughs) CJ, quote, My beef is with you never reading my tweets. Maybe they're not good, dude. If they make the show better, I will read them. I promise. You have my word. Finny10 tweets, My beef is when I go to the dentist and he tries to have a conversation with me while he's got an instrument stuck in my grill. It's kind of like those people who uh, hit you with a shot. Like, ready? One, two, zab! Like, they don't get to three. Like, you're not ready. Ah, just trying to make it easier. You want to make it easier? Just do it on three. Man, don't jab me with that needle on one. That's not cool. That's not funny. That's not clever. That didn't make it better. Hey, Jim, my beef is with idiots who refuse to get the COVID vaccination. No one can tell me what to do. Thanks for screwing us all morons. All right, so truthfully, that's something else I did on vacation. I hit refresh on the COVID vaccination over and over and over again, where it says, hey, you're qualified. There are, no, better yet, there are available appointments. And then when you refresh, they make you ask, answer the same 10 questions over again to get to the page with the appointments. And then when you re-answer the same 10 questions that you've answered a million times already, there are no appointments. That's my beef. I hit that refresh probably 100 times every day. But I, got, I finally got an appointment. Not the vaccination, but an appointment. Rum slice. What's my beef? Dude that jogs for exercise while using a push cart on the course. Go to the gym or a jogging trail. Otherwise, get a golf cart, sit your ass down, smoke a heater, crush eight beers, and golf a mediocre round like the rest of us scrubs. You bag. G off. Rome. I have a beef with my mother-in-law pronouncing the word wolves as woofs. Chad in Orlando. Yeah, I could see where that might irritate you, Chad. Rome, here's my beef. Why does every business I deal with want a satisfaction survey? Dude, you rotated my tires. You took an hour and a half to do it. You tried to upsell me three times that I didn't need. This is what happens when the nation who invented the participation award gets older and wants constant validation for simply doing their job. Jack Cav in Maryland. All right, let's try the phones. Johnny in Texas. Johnny, what's your beef? 
Jimmy, neat sympathy guy is totally underneath my craw. This is the dude that fires off a picture on every social media platform with an IV and air goggles on his mug. Dude, now we just all hope you die. Late. Hey, Rick, you got a hammer there. Don't be afraid to use it. 1-800-636-8686. Not a good start to the phone version of What's Your Beef? Let's try San Francisco. George, good to have you, George. What's your beef? Hey, Rome. My beef today is with a Patagonia guy. You know, it's that cat in your office, your next-door neighbor. You always see him. He has the Patagonia jacket. He has the Patagonia fleece. He has the Patagonia camping gear. Yet his idea of a camp, of going camping is getting an Airbnb up in Tahoe with his buddies. And the only hiking they're doing is from their house to the Uber, from the Uber, into the casino, around the card tables, around the slot machines. I mean, it's good, dude. It's just way too long. You don't like that car. Again, there's a rhythm to the beef segment. Come in, hammer somebody, smash them a couple of times, hang up the phone. That guy would have taken that well into hour three if I let him. But it was original. Credit for originality. Patagonia guy taking some. Let's go to Greg in the OKC. Greg, what's your beef? Romy, my beef is with people who molest the English language by asking if I want sweet tea or unsweet tea. Excuse me, there's no such thing as unsweet tea. What, did you take the sugar out? I don't think so. Get it right. See, he gets it. You come in, you beef, you make your beef, you state your beef, you get out. And you talk about language molesters. Sweet v. unsweet tea. OKC, Adam. Adam, what's your beef? My beef is with customers. I'm a delivery driver. My beef is with customers that tell me to stay warm or stay dry whenever the weather is out there like that. When it's raining and you're telling me to stay dry, I might as well tell you to stay alive. I'm out. I hear you. They're just trying to be nice, bro. I think they're acknowledging that it kind of sucks that you got to work in the rain, so they're saying stay dry. I don't know. I don't know. I hear you. 1-800-636-8686. Is there anybody else I can get to right quick? Let's get Kathleen in there. I know you have beef. Kathleen, what is it? Baylor, they are a big pain in my ass. They cough me Nate Reavers. They cough me Colin Gillespie. I don't like being cheated out of gorgeous men. Oh, Kathleen. War Lady Love clone. that. That's, that's actually for her really good. Her beef is with Baylor because they cheated her out of, quote, gorgeous men. Like Colin Gillespie. Mmm. <laughs> mmm, Kathleen. I am talking about Sean Casey. Sean, what's going on? It's good to have you back. How are you? Robbie, what's up, man? Another another opening day, brother. Another opening day. Hello. Oh, man. I would say, Case, that the calendar says opening day, but for my money, it's not officially opening day until I hear your voice. So how you doing? How is life right now? And how pumped are you, Sean, that baseball is officially back once again? Oh, man. Life is great, brother. And I, I think... Uh, I'm so excited for this opening day. I think, you know, I think, I think our, our country is excited for it. It's just, uh, 
you know, it's good to see the guys going back 162. I think we didn't know if this was going to happen. It was a little, you know, we didn't know if it was going to be 162. Was it going to be 120 or whatever? And I think it's great that here we are, April 1st. It's opening day. Everyone's, everything's a go. And uh, I'm just excited, man. I'm excited to watch a lot of games today. It feels great. Sean Casey joining us. You know, Sean, Tuesday was March 30th, which is the anniversary when you were dealt from Cleveland to Cincinnati. Looking back, what do you remember about your reaction when you first heard about that trade? Oh, my gosh, Romy, man. I tell you what. I got called into the office. We had just played a game. and it was, it, uh, you know, I got sent down to Buffalo because, obviously, Jim Tony was the first base for the Indies at the time. And I got sent down uh, to Buffalo. We played a game. Next thing you know, Mark Shapiro was calling me in his office. I go into his office. It's Mark Shapiro, Bud Black, and Scott Pioli, who was, at the, uh, you know, I became the GM of the of the Patriots in their in their long run. Him and Mark Shapiro were good friends, and you know, they they they, they said we got good news. And John Hart came on the phone and said they got good news and bad news for you. The bad news is you're you've been traded, but the good news is you're going to the biggies with the Reds. And I was like, oh man, that's great. So crazy, just because we traded, you know, I was traded for Dave Berba, who was a Reds opening day starter. So you know, that next day, boom, I'm I'm at opening day. I walk into the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, Johnny Bench is the first guy I see. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's Johnny Bench. Can't believe I'm, I'm with the Reds. And, you know, Johnny's like, let's go, son. You're late for the season. And I'm like, oh, my God, I kind of am. You know, I was late for batting practice. So, you know, I ended up going out there get batting practice going. But it was such a whirlwind day for me. And opening day for me, my first opening day ever uh, in the big leagues will always be one of the biggest ones, you know, for the Reds. What a great, great story. Sean Casey is joining us. All right, so the Dodgers win the World Series last year. Of course, you famously faced Clayton Kershaw back in the day you know how badly case that he wanted to win a world series what did it mean to you to see him finally cash one in oh man i tell you what if you're a baseball fan you know and and haven't seen them you know come up just a little short and everyone's on kershaw about oh he can't you know pitch in the postseason which is you know he's had a couple bad starts in the postseason i thought it was just great for baseball it meant a ton for me to just see him win it i think it meant a it meant a ton for fans i know obviously the dodger fans but Clayton Kershaw, I mean, this guy's one of the best, greatest pitchers of all time, and we're, we, we, you know, we should all be, you know, honored to be watching him do what he's doing. And a guy like that with a talent like that needs a World Series. So it was just like Justin Verlander winning in 2017 for the Astros to see Kershaw win. It was huge. Sean Casey is joining us, and then Sean, you've got the Padres. They signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to that massive contract in the offseason. But in addition to that, they brought in New Darvish. They brought in Blake Snell. So they're good. They're really good. In your mind, are they world championship good right now? Wow, they're really good, Romy. You're, you're exactly right. Because that rotation, I mean, even Lamette is, is really legit in that, lo- that rotation. Um, they got superstar players up and down the lineup, you know, obviously with, you know, on the left side of their infield with Machado and Tatis there. Um, yeah, they, they, they have a good shot. You know, I, I, I love I, what I love about them is that they have some proven guys, like a guy like Hosmer, who's kind of who's won the whole thing, had has had the big hits in the postseason. You know, he's a guy you can lean on come postseason time. Um, but I think they have the right mix of veteran guys and young guys, and it looks like they got good chemistry. Um, but the only problem with the Padres is they still got to go against the, the you know the big horse. In the in the Dodgers in that in that division, so it's going to be fun seeing them play each other so many times this year to see how they really stack up against each other. It is not officially opening day until Sean Casey comes on the program, and that's why we're doing this like we do every single year. Now, Case, you were talking to John Lester recently. He signed with the Nats in the offseason. How do you like that fit for him and for them? 
I like it a lot, Romy, because you know what? I think a big thing, you know, people don't people don't maybe um, you know put a put as much as they need to put on it as far as postseason experience. When I look at John Lester, uh, you know, coming over to the Nationals, you know, this is a guy that you know won it all a, a couple times in Boston. He won or broke the curse in Chicago. Like I just feel like he's a big game pitcher, and you add him into that rotation with Strasburg and Scherzer and Corbin. Now you're talking about some horses. Now you're talking about oh, you need a seven game series. We got four that could do it. So. And I think Juan Soto is the best player, the best hitter in the game, the best hitter in the game. I think Mike Trout's obviously the best player, but Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball. So adding him and, and Schwarber and Bell in that lineup, man, I think the Nats are going are gonna to make some noise this year, no doubt about it. I was just talking about Soto. I'm glad to hear what, hear what you just said about him, Sean. Sean Casey is joining us. You know, earlier this year, case Dustin Pedroia announced his retirement I bring it up because it seems to me it's pretty easy to forget that when he was healthy man he was as good as they come he was as tough as they come I personally have not spoken to him in recent years but he was always one of my favorite guys to watch and talk to you played with him what was he like as a teammate and a person Oh, man, I tell you what, I could probably be on here for days talking about this guy. I, I was lucky enough in 2008, the year he won the, the, uh, the MVP of the AL, he was my locker mate. And, like, it was on Romy. I mean, literally, if you could spend a week here in Tustin, Madrid, just talk to people, you know, not even the media, just throughout the day, you know, you're like, this is unbelievable. Like, I remember coming in thinking, man, this guy, is, I know he's small, but he's got to be jacked. You know, he's got to be, he's got to look like Hulk Hogan in his prime, you know, when, when he takes his shirt off then he takes his shirt off he's you know he's a little soft and i'm like man this guy's like one of the best players in baseball you gotta be kidding me you know then he goes out here but then you hear him talk and you're like this guy thinks he's six seven 350 pounds jack diesel literally and i think that's what was so great about dustin madroya and that's what i love about baseball like anyone could play this game it doesn't matter like you just have to have that mentality of belief in yourself to go out there and do it and dustin madroya there was no one in the game maybe that's ever played it that had more belief in what his abilities could do out there and that's why you know he had such an amazing career that is such an amazing anecdote like so where does that come from how did how did that guy get that mindset where did that come from you know what I think the great thing about Pedroia is that I think we all throughout our lives, Romy, you know, I'm sure you have a couple chips in your shoulder where people told you when you first came up, hey, he's not this, he's not that. And like, I always tell people, collect your chips, you know, collect your chips. And Dustin Pedroia was always told, hey, man, you're not fast enough. Hey, man, you're way too small. Hey, you're not going to hit for enough power. Hey, you don't have this, you don't have that. And like Dustin Pedroia had the biggest chip on his shoulder to say, yeah, watch me. You know, watch me. And I think that's one thing about even a guy like Kevin Euclid, I played on that same team, like uh, um, senior draft, eighth-round pick, hey, you're not this, you're not that, and like big chip on his shoulder too. So the best players that I've seen, especially a guy like Dustin Majoya, who had a lot of chips on his shoulder to prove people wrong, they could elevate their game to another level. I agree, Sean. I've always said this. I don't think anybody in any walk of life has ever accomplished anything great without that chip. Unless, you know, that maybe that, that small, small fraction of people that are just so gifted, so talented. But for most people, you need to have that chip. We're talking to Sean Casey. As if any of you had forgotten, Sean Casey is one of the all-time great storytellers, not just in the game of baseball, but in life itself. Case, there is that great story from your time with the Reds from 2004. The team was not having a great year. You're playing a four-game set at Wrigley in late September against a Cubs team that was trying to get into the playoffs. You lost the first game. Then you beat them three straight. The bus was leaving Wrigleyville. You guys were having a good old time on the bus. For those who do not know, what did you do then? 
Well, you know, really, every time in Chicago for years, we were getting beat up with the Reds, and you come out, and there's, you know, I think it was Murphy's, and all the fans are yelling at you, and you guys stink. And I remember in that, in that series, we were saying, hey, this is our playoffs. You know, it's the end of the year. There's seven games to go. This is our playoffs. Well, let's take it to the Cubs. Let's at least knock them out, and then we can say, we, you know, we did something this season. So we did lose the first game, but took the next three. And, I, and that really put them in a predicament where they were, they were in trouble to make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, in the postseason, we kind of knocked them out. And I remember, I remember we had our suits on. We're leaving. It's getaway day. It's Thursday afternoon. It's about 5 o'clock, Romy. And, and it's packed. You know, Wrigleyville is packed. The game had just happened. It's, five, it's rush hour traffic. So our bus is kind of putting along, and we're on the bus, and we're all excited about, you know, we're going home. There's three games to go in the season, but we, we felt like we just played the playoffs against the Cubs, knocked them out. So we're pulling up, and we're out five blocks from Wrigley, and I look to the right, and there's a packed, packed bar, you know, right in Wrigleyville there. And I, and I was like, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was just one of those, I was just excited, you know. So I went up to the bus driver. I was like, hey, man, let me out. And he was like, well, what do you mean? We're moving. We're, we're moving. We're in traffic. We're moving. He goes, I go, just let me out real quick. And then Bar- I look, he wouldn't let me out, so Barry Lark, I was going, Lark, help me out here. You know, and Lark's like, hey, let him out. And he's like, what are you doing, Case? I was like, hang on a second. I'll be right back. So I get off the bus, and I walk into this bar, that packed house, and I had to, like, kind of excuse myself. Excuse me, excuse me. Like, I had to, like, wiggle my way into the middle of the bar. I got in the middle of the bar, and I yelled. And, like, and the people were, you know, you could tell everyone's upset. Everyone's kind of eating their chicken wings and their couple beers, and they're just they're like wallowing in the, in, the, in the Cubs' loss. And I got in the, in the, into the middle of the bar, and I said, Hey, all you Cubs fans, the Cincinnati Reds just kicked your butts. Like they say in Chicago, better luck next season. Wow. And, right when I said that, man, I, the whole bar turned on me. I was like, that was a, this is the dumbest, one of the dumbest ideas I've ever had in my life, but I don't know why I'm here. I start running out of the bar. I'm yelling at the bus driver, open the door. Guy opens the door. I jump onto the bus. Boom. 20 people come out, start pounding on the bus like come on out here you know like that I just riled the whole place up but it was just Barry Larkin says to me as we're, as we're pulling away he goes Casey he goes I've been in the big leagues 19 years I've seen a lot of great things he goes that's the greatest thing I've ever seen that is incredible <laughs> Casey you were so lucky and then it wasn't even like oh that's Sean Casey yo what up let me buy you a beer like they wanted to kick your ass oh they wanted to kill me. They wanted to kill me. And they were like, is that Sean Casey? Tell him to come out and take a picture. I'm like, no chance I'm coming out there. No chance. I just stirred a hornet's nest. I just stirred the hornet's nest. <laughs> Dude, that is absolutely incredible. Case, what about, quickly, what about that story about Buck Night at Three Rivers Stadium? When you were growing up, what was Buck Night all about? Oh. Oh, my gosh, man. I just told this the other day on the network. It's such a great story. I, well, Buck Night, so Buck Night for the Pirate fans, like, it's a big deal around here. You know, it's a blue-collar city. You get Buck Night. It's like uh, dollar t- $1 ticket, uh, $1, uh, and I think you can get a, a Coke and a hot dog for a dollar, right? But I'm like, oh, this is great. And I had a paper route at the time, Romeo, so I'm like, this is perfect. You know, and, I'm, and don't forget, Buck Night, you're, you're still in the upper deck. You're not in the good seats. You're, like, upper deck with your buddies. So I'm, like, 13 years old. You know, and I'm like, well, because it's Buck Night, I can afford the nachos. Like, I used to get the salsa grande nachos, like cheese on one side, sauce on the other. Like, yeah, you're like, this is big time, right? So I'm up top, Buck Night, my, you know, we're all hanging out. I got, the, you know, Barry Bonds, and those guys are playing Bonds, Bonilla, Van Slyke, all, you know, some great buckos back then, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And I'm, 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 I'm got my nachos going. I'm sitting there with my buddies. And I t- tell you what, Romy, it was unbelievable. Something starts, like, <laughs> flying towards me in the upper deck. And I'm kind of like, hey, what is that? It's like a paper airplane or something. And it just kind of keeps getting closer, closer, closer. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm eating my nachos. I'm just enjoying the game. And next thing I know, this, like, humongous, like, 
at the time, it looked like at the time when I was 13 years old, you know, not knowing what's going on, it looked like a, a bird or something. <laughs> boom! It lands right in my nacho cheese, like boom! And I'm like, I'm like, gosh! And I'm startled, right? And and and, and this thing, I don't know if you've ever seen a praying mantis. Oh yeah, up close. But the praying mantis from me, it was stuck in my cheese, so it couldn't move. <laughs> so, it was, but it was like looking at me, like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna kill you if you, you know, if I'm in your cheese. And I'm like, oh my god! So I put him down. Okay. I, I I step on the praying mantis. I'm scared of death. Cheese is flying everywhere. You know, there's a cop. There's a there's a cop with who thought Buck Knight was good too. He was with his family right next to me. Cheese is flying all over everybody, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So then I, I you know, the guy's like, hey man, you can you can go to jail for that, and I'm like, jail for what? He goes, you just killed a praying man, praying man. What? You know, they're they're in dangerous species. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So anyway, he, he didn't take me to jail. He, he literally was serious though too. I get up, man, and I and I just continue to eat my nachos, you know, a little praying mantis uh, salsa and cheese, and watching that game. But I oh, never will forget Three Rivers Stadium being up there on Buck Night and praying mantis just flying into my nachos. Case, you are a national treasure. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> I thought it was a bird. It was a praying mantis. I killed it, and they wanted to take me in because they're a endangered species. All right, before you go, Sean Casey is my guest. This is why we do this every single year on opening day. There's no way you come on the program and we don't talk about the Miracle League of the South Hills. You are doing an online auction fundraiser this year. What kind of items are up for bid and where do the funds go, Case? Oh, man, Romy, thank you, man. Yeah, no, we got some... We got some great stuff. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. We usually have we usually have our um, have it in February, but because of COVID, we ended up doing it this year in April. We and um, we we have an app that we have our auction items on. Uh, it's called Handbid. H A N D B I D. It's a Handbid app or Handbid.com. And we have some great items. I have a buddy who just sent me a WWE built belt with a, with like Seth Rollins and, and a couple uh, Bobby Lashley, a couple guys. Eddie Vedder just sent um, Pearl Jam sent us a. Uh, Pearl Jam signed guitar. Um, we got a ukulele on there, a bunch of Pearl Jam posters, which I know the Pearl Jam fans love it. We have a Mike Tyson signed punch out picture, which I know you probably love that. Nice. For me, it's that, you know, who didn't love Mike Tyson's punch out back in Definitely. the day? Definitely. We just have a bunch of good stuff, man. And uh, Willie May signed picture. We got Vlad Jr. sent us a, um, a jersey. We have so many good items. And, and all the money goes um, for our Miracle League of the South Hills. And we're building a job training facility for our kids this year. So it's a big year for us for fundraising. We're building a facility where we're going to train our kids, our special needs kids, that they can go out and then work, you know, in different grocery stores or any places in our community where we could uh, have people hire them. And the great thing about, Romy, about this Handbid app is that it's, you know, we've shipped off a Pearl Jam poster Australia to Italy to Texas to California, wherever it is. So anyone could jump on and, and, and get on these items and, and help us out. Good for you, Case. That is so awesome. So the app is Handbid, right? Yes, Handbid, yes. He is a 12-year Major League vet, a three-time All-Star. He is the president of the board of the Miracle League of the South Hills. And again, you can watch MLB Network's live opening day coverage featuring their Emmy Award-winning MLB tonight all the way through 2 a.m. Eastern. Now it's officially opening day. Case, you are the absolute best. Thanks so much, Sean. Great to have you back. And I always look forward to it, and you murdered it again. Roby, you're the greatest brother. Can't wait to open day next year. We'll do it again, brother. You got Take it, Casey. Have a great day. Thank See you so me. much, Sean Casey. He is Kelvin Sampson. Kelvin, good to have you back. Welcome back. How are you? Kelvin, good to have you back. Welcome back. How are you? Jim, always good to be on with you, brother. 
Kevin, I appreciate you very much. I'm glad to have you back on. In fact, you and I spoke just last week. Normally, I would not have a guest on again so quickly, but there was no way that I was not going to talk to you after you clinched a spot in the Final Four. You know, right when that happened, that tough, tough win over Oregon State, you said it probably would take some time for it to sink in that you were going back to the Final Four. So, Kevin, how does that feel right now? Has it sunk in yet? It did. It did until I realized who we were playing. Mm. Watching them on tape the last couple of days, it's kind of gone by the wayside, and I'm going, holy smoke, is Baylor good. (laughs) I get that. They are good. They are really good. So let me jump ahead to that. There's some other background I want to get to, but when you look at them on tape, what do you see? What jumps out to you the most about Scott Drew's team? You know, they're one of the few teams that they don't really throw it to the post, and it's irrelevant because they're so dynamic scoring in the paint. You know, um, there's a stat that I look at at halftime, paint points. Um, how, how many points you Most people think of paint points as getting the ball to a big man, him scoring the ball in the paint. Well, every time you get a steal and go dunk it, that's a paint point. Every time you drive it into the paint and shoot a floater, that's a paint point. Uh, every time you go up for a basket and they block it and they run down there and dunk, that's the they're incredible with how many paint points they get. I think the most significant stat for me is how many points they average, average, Jim, of other teams' mistakes, other teams' turnovers. They average 21 points a game off your mistakes. And that's, that's the most incredible stat of any team, of any stat I've ever, uh, I've ever seen. I've, I've had teams get 21 in a game. But uh, to average 21 points a game off turnovers is, uh, makes you realize that if you can take care of the ball, you got a chance. But everybody says that. Villanova was playing, playing them pretty tough. The next thing you know, the bottom fell out, and they had like five turnovers and eight possessions, and the game's over. Uh, Arkansas uh, turnovers, um, uh, easy baskets. It's, it's easy to see, but it's, it's almost uh, impossible to do because they're so athletic and quick and aggressive in those passing lanes. And Evian Mitchell's on-ball pressure is uh, just something you can't prepare for. Kelvin Sampson joining us. What a great breakdown that is. Yeah, their backcourt is something. In fact, that they are something, but their backcourt especially. But, Kelvin, when I'm watching your team play, there's so much that you do that I really respect and admire and the way you get after it. But, man, you guys are monsters on the offensive glass in terms of getting to the glass and getting rebounds. Kelvin, what is that exactly? I mean, how much of that is about positioning? How much of that is about technique? And then how much of that is just want to, your effectiveness on the offensive glass? I think more the latter. Um you know, it's, it's hard for me to take a, a lot of credit for any of that stuff. I mean, it's an emphasis of ours, sure. Um, but I've, I've emphasized it to a, a lot of teams. There's just a lot, a lot of teams that have guys like Justin Gorham and uh, Fabian White, uh, Reggie Chaney, uh, Bryson Gresham. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not a great shooting team, uh, 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 Jim, and for those that have watched us, I realize that's not a revelation. But um, so we're not going to beat you with our first shot, and our kids understand that. Um, you know, Grimes can get hot, Sasser can get hot, Mark can score, uh, uh, Jarrell can score. I mean, we we've got a bunch of people who can make baskets, but we don't shoot it well enough to live off first shots. So we have to be 
a team that gets a lot of second-chance opportunities. We call them unscripted points. You know, fast break points, second-chance points, points off turnovers, um, a loose ball, pick it up, throw it ahead, something. You know, we have to, we have to get X amount of points uh, doing that. And if you look back at the Syracuse game, the Oregon State game, look at the Rutgers game at the end. Uh, almost all, all those games, we, we scored in ways uh, other than traditional ways. We don't come out and execute a great play and boom at the end. We just come off the pin down, catch it, shoot it. You know, we don't do that a lot. You know, we run good stuff and we, we, we executed a good level, but, uh, you know, we're just not consistent enough shooting to live off that. So we spent a lot of time in practice just working on going to get our own missed shots. Kelvin Sampson joining us. This is exactly why I love talking ball with you, Kelvin. Now, you've won everywhere you've been, but you've also said that you are a different and better coach now as a result of your time in the NBA. I'm really curious yeah. about that. Like, what is the biggest difference now in the way you coach and the way you go about your business based on your time in the NBA? What were your biggest takeaways from that time in the NBA, and what was that time like? Well, my first um, my first stop was with San Antonio with, uh, with Pop. <clears throat> I remember my first practice, um, Mike Budenhauser had the scout report, and he was, and I think, I can't remember who they were playing. It might have been New Orleans with Chris Paul or Phoenix with Steve Nash, but it was it was a group discussion. You know, mind you, I'm coming from my my programs where, you know, uh, one assistant does a scout report. There's not a lot of dialogue. You know, we just did it and moved on. But uh, Ginobili, Parker, Duncan, Bruce Bowen, um, Kirk Thomas, Damon Stoudemire, they, they all had input. Budenauer's going over like three different ways we're going to guard the pick and roll on the side, in the middle, and I'm just – I just take my palm of my hand, slam my forehead, and I'm going, holy cow, am I dumb. I had no idea you could do all this stuff. Huh. It, it was just like a, it was like a reckoning uh, for me. So I had this little composition book. Um, I had a hotel room. I'd go back to at night, and I'd just write down all the things I was learning. And i say, man, I didn't know uh, that you could. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I, I knew right away, Jim, I thought I could coach an NBA team, but then I realized I wasn't qualified. These guys were light years ahead of me in terms of uh, doing things that um, um, was required to win at, at that level. And then when I got to Milwaukee with Scott Skiles, that was truly a blessing. I mean, Scott was so good uh, facing um uh, the offensive uh, spacing and the different things you can do early in the shot clock, middle of the shot clock, late shot clock, take advantage of matchups here, matchups there. Um, you know, just so many different things. It, it was like, a, it was like um, taking a sabbatical and just going to see how much you can learn. Um, and then when I got to Houston with uh, Kevin McHale, I just same thing, you know, everybody's going to, come at James Harden different ways. Um, against this team, we're going to attack him in, in this area. The other team, we're going to run him off this and have him attack here, Dwight Howard here. No, it's just taking care of, taking advantage of a matchup in a different area of the floor. Things that I just didn't do a very good job of when I was in college. So uh, it's almost like the, 
a dome stadium opened up and you could see the sky. And I just learned learned so much, and I'm so appreciative of that opportunity that I got to go to the NBA. I, I think that's fascinating. Your time in the NBA, the guys you worked with, the things you learned. I love the fact, Kelvin, that you carried around a composition book and went back to your room every single night, and you filled it up full of notes of things that you didn't know. And that brings us all the way back to this. Now, your son, Kellen, tweeted a photo of the two of you and your daughter, Lauren, hugging after the win over Oregon State, he posted it with the caption, quote, so many long nights, so many early mornings, so many times we were told no. This hug was worth every second of the journey. I hope everybody who said yes feels the emotion and the gratitude in my eyes. will dance as long as they play the music, end of quote. It's an amazing caption. What was the hug like for you, and what's it mean to share this with your son, Kelvin? Well, it was very emotional. Uh, we, we're so blessed, um, um, Jim, because I have so many great friends. I mean, friends, you know, people that know me um, that have supported us at such a high level over the years. And um, it's, you, know, you can't have success unless you have good people around you. And, and we've, we've been blessed with that. But one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, come back and coach in college was I wanted to do it with Kellen. Uh, I wanted to coach with him. That was important to me because I, I, I knew how good he was. Um, but, you know, it sounds superficial because I'm the dad. Dads always say good stuff about their sons. You're supposed to. Um, but, but I knew. I, I knew that, that he was – I knew he was really good. And then I also knew that my daughter, Lauren, who used to be the director of sports marketing at the College of Charleston, and that was what her job was. I said she she would be awesome in in a uh, external operations role. So I thought through all these positions, the people that I would hire, and how we were going to move this program forward. It was about then. It was about getting the administration on board, getting them to see the vision, share the vision, buy into it, and um, and let's go. So uh, that that hug was uh, represented a lot of things. Um, but just the appreciation of, of uh, the people that believed in us, and hopefully they um, uh, felt a lot of satisfaction from that moment as well. You bet. Kelvin Sampson joining us for another moment or so. So, Kelvin, this is your second trip to the Final Four, so you know how hard it is to get to this spot. Yeah. How does this one feel compared to the first one? Well, the first one, I didn't know whether I was on foot or horseback. You know, you... You tend to overdo everything. Um, I'm enjoying this one a lot more, even though we're in a bubble and we're kind of sequestered and, you know, there's not a lot of uh, ambiance or atmosphere here. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm on the seventh floor here looking out at the uh, uh, Lucas Oil Building and Victory Stadium and this big wall that's got brackets on it. And, you know, you just the only time you go outside is to get in the bus to get a, to go to the uh, arena, and you drive into underneath the arena, so you're not really outside when you get out. But, um, but I, I'm making sure that the players enjoy it. I don't want I don't want to Im, impede their fun. I, I want them uh, uh, to to be completely like this morning. We we had we had to practice this morning at, from nine to ten thirty. So kids are a little groggy when they got up this morning. It's a little early. I think we had, we were downstairs at seven thirty uh, for breakfast, and 
And we had to go get a COVID test, you know, do the stuff we do every day. Uh, it's a routine once you're inside the bubble. But uh, when we got over there, made sure everybody had their phones out. You guys take pictures. You, know, you pose for pictures, everybody. It's not, you know, it's, this isn't life or death. You know, it's fun. They, they re, this is a reward for a lot of sacrifice and hard work on their part. And I want them to, I want to see them smile. I want to see them enjoy this. And, uh, and I want to smile with them. And I want to enjoy it with them. And I'm, and I'm not sure I was like that the first time. But, but I know how hard it is. And I know how fortunate and lucky you are to be able to do this. So I'm, I'm going to be part of the solution for them having fun. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be uh, Mr. Scrooge and, and try to uh, overthink this thing. I'll tell you that. I love it. And this is why I had to run you down once again. Kelvin Sampson, the head coach at Houston, Houston and Baylor, Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern on CBS. He is a good friend of the program. He is seven years in with the Cougs. Kelvin, I really do appreciate you very much. You did not need to come right back on, and you made time for it. You did it, even though you are sequestered in your seventh-floor hotel room. But, you know, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Kelvin, so good to talk ball with you. Listen, good luck on Saturday night. We'll all be watching. And if you take care of your business again, you know you're the first guy I'm looking for. Well, you always need a little luck. you got to be good to be here, but you need a little luck to advance, and, and probably us more so than the rest of them. Gavin is a teenager that likes to come in here and crack on old people. And you know what? I'm here for it. Get him right to the front of the line. What's up, G? How you doing, Gavin? How you doing, Rome? Good, dude. How about you? I'm doing pretty good, especially considering I got my driver's license a few weeks ago. And all I've heard people say since is, uh-oh, better stay off the roads. It's dangerous now. All the teenage drivers are all, all the youngins are driving around. And to that point, there are a lot of stupid teenage drivers. But I think there's a much bigger threat on the roadways that at least I've observed. I'm sure most of you clones probably have, too. All the old boomer drivers. Take old man Rit, for instance. He doesn't have the capability to drive, but yet he still has a license somehow. <laughs> Rit has zero awareness of what he's doing while he's chugging down the road, 1,500 the speed limit in his Oldsmobile. Then you got guys like Johnny in Texas. He's too busy trying to dish out crappy takes on the show and shoveling in a Whataburger and paying zero attention to actually driving. Watch yourself, clones. Dangerous time on the roadways. Speaking of old man Ritt, I was calling to accept your invitation to the Gavin V. Ritt Showdown. Game on. AKA... What's that? <laughs> that's just Ritt playing sound. Gavin, that's just Ritt pushing buttons. Ignore the old man. You're cruising, kid. Just keep doing what you do. Okay, sorry. I was here to accept the Gavin V. Ritt Showdown a.k.a. the teenage sensation versus the Boomer Army Commander-in-Chief. Here's some advice, Rit. Start getting up at 2 a.m. so you can do your water aerobics or that fake slow-motion karate old people call exercise. Make sure and take your pain meds to, to that early because ho hopefully they kick in by the time I eat your old, dusty, mummified carcass all the way to the Grand Canyon. So, Rit, what are you going to do? Cower behind that desk and do some fake work or step up to the challenge and represent the Boomer Army? Ball's in your court, Rit. Thanks, Rome. I'm out. Gavin. Go ahead and rack him. Gavin, you're on the watch list. Good night.